in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is Jesse Temple. Well, it's been a while since we had a chance to talk, Jesse, but obviously uh, the Badgers go and get a win in the Dukes Mayo Bowl. It feels like it was ages ago, but it was December 30th. They fall down early, 14-0 hole, come back and ended up uh, blowing Wake Forest out 42-28. to Not a whole lot of offense there for Wisconsin, but... It, they did enough because the defense uh, gave them the ball in some really, really good positions. We'll get to we'll get to the game in a little bit. We'll also talk all about uh, what the future holds for Wisconsin in 2021. Still a little few unknowns. It's kind of why we waited to do this because we kind of wanted to see uh, decisions by some guys. We're still waiting on a decision by one major guy in Danny Davis, but we'll talk about some of the other guys that have uh, decided to return for another senior year or for their for their uh, for their senior year, and uh, then we'll get into some of your. Questions from uh, Twitter as well that we had. Gosh, that was, again, back December 30th when I asked for him. But we'll get to all that. Uh, but, Jesse, we should start with the game, of course. And, you know, I think a lot of people in those there, – there, there are a lot of first-quarter tweets in that game where <laughs> you probably were not entirely proud of those tweets. Not you or me. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't go that way. But there's some, probably some people out there who were not entirely proud of those tweets when it, came, when it got to the late third, early fourth quarter. I think – half of the Twitter sphere was ready to fire everybody on the staff. Yeah. So they should have opted uh, out. They should. It looks yes. like they opted out. Wisconsin, <laughs> they accepted a bowl game, but it doesn't appear that they accepted the bowl game. Yeah. No, like yeah. all that, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, I think, you know, texting back and forth between us uh, probably wasn't pretty in terms of this doesn't look great, but publicly we didn't go that way. So we're, so we're cool. We're cool. We don't, we're not, we're not going to get called out by freezing cold takes. So either way, it's crazy to me to think that the defense gave up 518 total yards to Wake Forest offense and played great (laughs) for most of it. Yeah, not all of it. No. Um, Yeah, it wasn't looking too good when Wake Forest took a 14 nothing lead. And honestly, the question was, is there enough offense to get more than two touchdowns to make this a game? But the defense was able to, to help out there. That five drive sequence in the second half. Is the best you will see. They got a four, they got the fourth down stop. It was like fourth and one, and then they <laughs> intercepted four passes on four consecutive drives. The man because they knew exactly what Wake Forest was going to run. Exactly. The the man had one interception in his first in the first what I think it was like two hundred and sixty seven passes, and then he had four and twelve in his next twelve. It was crazy, and it was really interesting listening to some of those defensive players after the game. Mm-hmm talk about the preparation that Jim Leonard and the staff basically identified uh, and like Scott Nelson laid it out. Apparently they saw on film that when it was between third and three and eight, that they liked to run this specific play to the slot receiver in what they called the low hook zone, which is why Nelson and Colin Wilder intercepted the exact same pass yeah. and took it almost for a touchdown. Um, and that shows a lot about obviously Leonard's coaching acumen and the staff in general to identify that, but also the player's ability to execute it. Cause it's exactly, as you said, uh, Sam Hartman came into that game with one interception, the entire season on 236 throws or something crazy like that. So for them to do what they did, um, 
really just an exceptional performance by a defense. And I think it's vital for the team in general because this has been the most challenging year that this program has experienced in a long, long time for a number of different reasons. And if they lose that game, they're three and four and they finish with a losing record for the first time since what, 2001 under Barry, which was the last time they didn't go to a bowl game. Yep. So there's something to be said for going out on a high note and maybe building a little momentum as you go into the off season. It does. And I, the underlooked play, I think of the entire game, and it's kind of like the Melvin Nebraska game in 2014, where they fell down 17 to three, right? And there was a third and eight and Joel Stabby hit, what was his name from Memorial, the, the wide receiver? Um, Jordan Frederick. Jordan Frederick. And Frederick made a great catch. Like It was really, really low. But it was 17-3. If he doesn't make that catch, and they don't convert that third down, who knows how the rest of that game goes. On the next play after that, Melvin Gordon goes down the sideline, high, uh, hurdles over the guy, and it was on. This time, not necessarily the same kind of thing, but that, uh, that drive after they went down 14 to nothing. Going for it on fourth down where they were on the field, if you don't get that and then you don't finish off the rest of that drive, who knows what the rest of that game looks like. But you, those, are, those are some small plays that then lead to 42-28. to 28, You know what I mean? Yeah, all those little things add up. And, I mean, they needed, they needed something. They needed a spark because if Wake Forest scores again, <laughs> Wisconsin gets down like 21 nothing or 17 nothing. I, I don't know what that game turns into, but obviously they, they were able to turn it around in a hurry and – I mean, that's the thing about any of these games is is you go back and you look and there are a handful of plays that can can change the outcome of the game. Yeah. And uh, again, they then they just set up the offense. I think the only thing, obviously, the yards that the defense gave up and then the inability to finish off those pick sixes. Right. I mean, yeah. get some wheels, you know, like, <laughs> isn't that what Jack Sanborn said? Everyone. Yeah. I mean, Jack Sanborn called uh, Colin Wilder and Scott Nelson out for not being able to finish. I still think Scott Nelson did finish his like I, I do think he was in the end zone. We'll never get a think it down the field or down the uh, down the sideline angle of his interception, but uh, I thought he was in. And Colin Wilder just needs to follow his blocks. Like I don't, I don't know why he's cutting back across the field when you got Leo Chanel in front of you. <laughs> um, Maybe he's not. He's not used to toting the rock and being like a running back or a wide receiver. That's why those guys are DBs. But right? give him credit for making the pick. I guess. Yeah. No. And getting for down sure. inside the five. For sure. No. It was. Yeah. And then essentially just bully ball down in the down inside the five. I mean, because Graham played. Okay, right? I mean, yeah. like, who's who would be the offensive player of the game? It's, it took me forever to try and come up with him, but I ended up going with Graham just because he didn't turn the ball over. <laughs> I mean, that that, <laughs> that, that was the the bar that, that – that's how low the bar was because of the lack of, you know, offensive weapons. You got Jalen Berger back, but you were missing uh, – and, and you certainly had Jake Ferguson, but you are missing pretty much everybody else. You know, Not everybody else. You were missing uh, Danny Davis and Kendra Pryor again, the two guys that uh, are known playmakers, though Jack Dunn again had a nice game. I don't know. I don't even know how to quantify Graham's performance, but I went with him as my player of the game because he didn't turn the ball over and he he got uh, a couple of those sneaks, especially the the fourth down that I was talking about earlier. It worked. He worked. It was fine. Didn't didn't turn the ball over for a second straight game. I think I'd give him the player of the game. I mean, he ultimately wound up with three total touchdowns. Offensive. Yeah, offensive. He ultimately wound up with three touchdowns. He had a couple of those quarterback sneaks. He didn't turn the ball over. And as we know, during that three-game losing streak, he turned the ball over eight times. He had five interceptions. He lost three fumbles. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think this was a really important game for Graham. And you know, we've talked about this before, but I thought it was interesting listening to the, the television broadcasts throughout the season. And there was a point in the season where the broadcasters mentioned that Joe Rudolph and the staff acknowledged that Graham was perhaps scuffling with his confidence a little bit, um, which Graham would never 
publicly say and was specifically asked about that and during the season and and said that wasn't an issue. But to go out in the way that he did, to not turn the ball over, to help lead this team to a victory, I just think it's uh, really important for his future. And ultimately, you know, just to peel it back and talk about Graham a little more for this season because he is the future of the quarterback position, obviously, with no Jack Cohn. I mean, this was really important for him this year. He, he, this is the first, and I wrote about this after the bowl game, but this is the first year that he's really experienced any substantial adversity since he became the guy, right? He go, he transfers before his junior year of high school, and he earns a captaincy on a team of 35 seniors. He wins a state championship. He commits to Wisconsin. He becomes a national recruit. His senior year, he's the state player of the year in Kansas. He wins the All-American Bowl MVP. And even last year as a true freshman, it was he played in two games. He completed nine of ten passes, and it was just like, when do we get to see more of him? That was kind of what everybody wanted to see. And this year, there were so many issues. And you know what I thought was interesting, too, was Garrett Groshek acknowledged after the game, it just kind of like was glossed over, that John Budmeyer like wasn't available for certain parts of the season. And I don't want to speculate as to why, but, um, I you think know, he's, yeah, <laughs> but you know, we know that, that, well, we know that the staff experienced a lot of COVID issues cause so did the team. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not <laughs> tying them together cause I don't know. So I guess I am speculating, but just, that was another element that we never knew about yeah. that Graham had to overcome. In addition to getting a mild concussion against Minnesota and getting COVID-19 and then coming back and your offense is completely decimated. So I think it's a fascinating story and, and, uh, we learned a lot about who Graham is and what he can be in the future, even if he didn't play particularly well after the season opener. Are you still confident that he is that guy? That he is the guy that can be not just the face of the program, but a guy that can take them to the next level? Has has this year at all knocked down your confidence in him? You know, I, I know I, I expressed in a previous episode just <laughs> concern about some of the issues that he'd been having, but... If we yeah, really you, take a step, you back. You, you jumped off the bandwagon, Jesse. I believe is what I was not off the bandwagon. What, what, what we all what, what what we all agreed to. I'm pretty sure uh, everybody that listens uh, would agree with me that you, you jumped off the bandwagon. But go ahead, for you can jump back on if you'd like. <clears throat> I mean, the the issues offensively were just I can't remember a season like this. He didn't have almost anybody, and I know that sounds like an excuse, but you know when your number three wide receiver becomes the most targeted receiver. Uh, on the team when you've got true freshmen who, who couldn't play the first half of the season and, and they may be talented, you know, Devin Chandler, I think has a bright future, but you're throwing guys in there because you're running out of bodies. Look at the number of guys offensively who are unavailable at different points of this season. It's ridiculous. I mean, then have the top two receivers, as you said, with Davis and Pryor, um, you know, left tackle, left guard, center, right guard at different times. Those guys couldn't play. You didn't have four of your top six wide receivers your top three running backs were out at different points of the season. It was so disjointed that, and and again, some of the issues that maybe we weren't aware of that do you not have a quarterback's coach to work with and you're you're sick and you know you have a concussion. I, I think all those reasons and and the the confidence and leadership that he showed helped me believe that yes, he he still is the future for this team. He just needs some weapons around him. That's kind of how I feel. I don't know. What are your thoughts on maybe what you learned about Graham and? And what you think his future can be? No, I, Graham is still physically as gifted as any quarterback Wisconsin has has had since Russell Wilson, and you know even I would put him right below Russell Wilson in terms of physical gifts. He's he's got that. But you're right. What we saw against Illinois, and I know Illinois is horrible. There were a lot of open receivers running all over the place. 
but he showed the ability with touch on his passes. That that pass down the sideline to Jake Ferguson was great. His ability to to find the open guy, Danny Davis, running down the field wide open, but you still have to you still have to hit that. There were there were a lot of his first touchdown pass to Mason Stocky was a perfectly laid ball right where it needed to be. Like he's got the accuracy, he's got the arm strength. We know he's smart enough. We got to figure out a way to get the plays into him easier. But um, yeah, you know that that is certainly <laughs> at the top. I I don't want to be overly dramatic about it, but that's got to be like in the top five of things to work on offensively. In the, right? I mean, you got to figure that out. You can't have him. And I know some people say it's, it's, he's just running over sideline. If he can't handle that, it's not. No, what it does. Wisconsin, how much motion does Wisconsin use in their offense? How much, like, that takes some time at the line of scrimmage. And if you're breaking the huddle at 10 and getting up to the line of scrimmage, it's really hard to do that. So, either that that's an aside. For Graham. Uh, I think it's I think it's very important. I'd put it in the top. Is it number one? I mean, no. You know, I know, I know Paul said during the season that it was like overblown storyline or whatever, but like they kept doing it. Yeah. So there was a reason why you kept doing it. Maybe it was too late in the year for you to, to make the changes that you needed, but you obviously had concerns about other teams potentially stealing your signals once Indiana did it. So I'm completely with you. It's that that's gotta be a pretty high priority on, uh, on figuring that out. And I, I'm sure they will. And I'm just, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of they figuring it out. So I don't, so we don't get asked about it 24 seven on Twitter. Like, know, the, like the, like the entire, not that I have a problem people asking questions. It's just like that question has been the one since Indiana. And like, it's the same one over and over again, because Paul Christ essentially, yeah, he, he he said, I thought that was overblown. We'll have a plan. Their plan apparently was to continue doing that same thing the rest of the year. So Yeah, he uh, said it was blown out of proportion is what he said, and that yeah, was it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, what else are you going to say? What else can you ask? Yeah, no. So that's what that was. But no, in terms of Graham, he's got all the ability. I don't. My confidence in him has not dipped. Like I still think he is the guy. I think he's the guy that's going to have an opportunity to take Wisconsin to the college football playoff. Like that's he has he is that guy. He's he's still got it. Like I'm not I'm not jumping off the bandwagon. I will pull you back up if you like, but that's I'm not going to do that because I, I do think he just has a ton of talent. And I'm I'm obviously joking with you. I know you 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 still have very uh, high thoughts of him as well, and I think a lot of people do. And I know there are some people that believe that he was overhyped and and that type of stuff. But this is a really really tough year, and I think it's unfair to judge him based on what we saw today or uh, what yeah. we saw this year. I, I agree. I mean, look, it's this situation with COVID-19 was not unique to Wisconsin, but, you know, find me a quarterback starting his first season that had to deal with more stuff than Graham did. Honestly, there's like five or six different things you could say if that one thing happened, it could derail a season. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. So the bowl game in the past, Graham Mertz, obviously QB1 going forward. The former QB1 is uh, gone, but will be seen. Yes, Jack, he will. Jack Cohn uh, deciding to transfer, and we got word this week that he was transferring to Notre Dame, who Wisconsin is scheduled to face September 25th at Soldier Field in Chicago. Now, one of our sister stations down in Indiana called and wanted to talk about Jack Cohn, so I went over there, and, and they assume him to be the starting quarterback. Yes. Right? So even though there are some other talented guys there, he's expected to be the starting quarterback at least – have a, have, a, have a leg up because he's the only one that has a lot of experience there. So we'll see. But with him making that decision, I don't view Jack as a uh, revenge-filled type of guy. I feel like the Notre Dame decision was because he knew Notre Dame. He had been, every, you know, obviously we've been recruited there to play lacrosse. Like he knew that it's a pro-style system. Like so it's not totally foreign to what he has done throughout his career. 
I think there's a lot of reasons that he did it, and none of them are, I shouldn't say none of them, but I don't think any of them in the top five are the ability to play against Wisconsin again. Yes, that's a, a happy coincidence and, and a fun storyline, assuming that Jack earns the starting job. And I'm with you. I um, I did a show with – we have a, a Notre Dame beat writer at The Athletic, and that's the assumption that I think everybody in that camp is making is there's a lot of young quarterbacks. They're losing Ian Book. It's, it is quite – it is the perfect situation for Jack. I know that sounds cliche, but like when you're a graduate transfer – you have to evaluate the roster and you have to identify whether you've got an opportunity to play right away because your clock is ticking and you don't have as much time as when you're coming in as a as a freshman. And so he's going to have that opportunity. You know, he can fit right in. He's got 18 starts under his belt. And I, yes, he he does not strike me as the I'm doing this for revenge. Having said that, I mean, I think anybody can imagine how disappointed he must have been with how his career at Wisconsin ended. Certainly would have liked to continue to be the starter, but that was not going to be guaranteed to him with with Graham stepping in. And so now he's found a place where he can do that. And you're right. There's a lot of familiarity there. He committed to Notre Dame way back when to play lacrosse. Um, So there was a fit. There was a need. And I think he's going to do very well there because of everything we've seen to this point and the fact that he's a team guy. And certainly it may take some time for him to develop the relationships with the players. But he was able to do that at Wisconsin, especially after Alex Hornibrook left and he knew he was going to be the guy. I remember him talking about going into his junior season, some of the steps that he took to be a better leader, like the fact that he would sit at the meal table with a different player every day to get to know them, that he would organize things so he could uh, be around different position groups off the field. And I think those are the things he's going to do at Notre Dame, and he's going to command the respect of the teammates because of how hard he works, his leadership, and how good of a football player he is. So it's really it's a win-win situation. If he wasn't going to play at Wisconsin, he needed to find a place where he could do that, and he's found it at Notre Dame. The only problem there, of course, and I know you are journalist right down the middle, not going to have uh, an opinion. I don't like Brian Kelly. <laughs> I, I, I I just don't. Him and Dabo losing last weekend on the same day, getting embarrassed on a national stage, was amazing and awesome, and I loved it. So uh, it's unfortunate that a guy who's as easy to root for as Jack Cohn is going to play for a guy who is as easy to root against as Brian Kelly, but it is what it is. So Notre Dame picks up Jack Cohn. The other guy that's transferring out, Nikia Watson. And he decided to leave... Uh, did not play in the final two games. Started five games this year, but uh, did not get. To, uh, wanted to be Jonathan Taylor. Essentially, is what he told you. You had a long conversation with a Q and A up at the Athletic with him. When you uh, when you spoke with him, it sound it, it read. Obviously, I didn't hear the conversation, but it read like uh, he wasn't. He didn't hold the animosity towards Wisconsin. It was just he wanted to be a Jonathan Taylor, and he knew he couldn't be that here. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. I was. Uh impressed with his maturity and really how open he was because let's face it it's not the most enjoyable conversation to talk about your experience at a place that it didn't work out and you're leaving um but that's exactly right he said i'm trying to be that jonathan taylor and it's going to be hard to be that jonathan taylor at a program where we have nine running backs um you know you have to admire the fact that he took a step back and 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 evaluated where he stood and thought this isn't the best place for me and um there was a lot of stuff that i learned from that conversation but clearly when jalen berger made his move and and shot up the depth chart and took over that number one role nikia got far fewer carries there was a game where he had two carries and um he said that john settle pulled him aside after the northwestern game and kind of told him the direction that things were headed and at the time nikia thought 
okay, I'm going to continue to work hard and I'm going to try to make the best of this and figure out what my role is. But there came a point where he's looking at the roster and they've got three running backs coming in in the 2021 recruiting class. They've already got other guys on the roster. Jalen Berger has passed him. At this point, we don't know the status of what Garrett Groshek is going to decide. He said during the season that he had not made a decision yet. I tend to think, and I'm speculating, I, I, I don't know if he'll be back. I mean, you know, he's six, be a sixth-year senior, but he does love football. But whether he's there or not, there's a bunch of guys there. And Nikia said, like, I can wait and I can hope and pray that I'm going to have the role that I want, or I can go somewhere else and make it what I want. Um, so that's the decision that he made. He had a ton of uh, talent coming out of high school. I know Settle loved his high school film, and he really didn't develop as quickly as Settle thought that he would. But that's kind of where things are. And, and when I asked him, you know, who did he talk to to tell them, he called Settle. He said that Chris wasn't available. All these guys are on vacation, so it can be difficult to get in touch with them. But Settle told him, if you're going to do this, make sure that you go somewhere and you make it worth your while um, to do this 110%. And the other thing I'll say is you talk about how he played in five games. This is one of the downfalls of, of covering college football this season is we have no idea why guys aren't playing. You know, we could speculate, but all we get was 30 to 45 minutes before a game, we get a status report and I can understand why the school would do it. I mean, you know, they don't want to say this guy's out with COVID-19, but I was wondering, well, he didn't play the last two games. He was listed as unavailable. Like, was that because he transferred? And he said, no, he actually had a high ankle sprain. He suffered it in practice the week of the Indiana game. He tried to play through it and he just couldn't move anymore. So I thought that was interesting too. Like, to learn a little bit more about what the hell happened this year. But ultimately, he's got to make the best decision for him. And and that's what he's done. So um, it was really it was an interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, good for him for having the uh, the willingness to talk about it. Yeah, no, it was a good read. And you can still find it up on The Athletic to hear what he said before uh, trying to find somewhere else. I haven't seen any types of like, you know, some of these guys are reporting offers every time they get one from a school. I'm, I'm sure someone will be interested in him. He is a he was a, a high level recruit. And uh, it just didn't work out at Wisconsin, right? I mean, that's just, that is what it is. So those two guys are gone, but a lot of guys are coming back so far. We'll see. Wisconsin has, there's been a, uh, I don't even, would you call it a, a drizzle of news? Maybe a, a drip of news uh, <laughs> every day or, you know, every other day. So some guys are saying they're coming back. Some guys, some guys are saying they're going. Nobody that said they're going is a surprise. Eric Burrell told us last August that, this was going to be it. Isaiah Laudermilk said the same thing. Both of them are gone. Cole Van Landon also uh, moving on and, and going to the NFL. So those three seniors are gone. But they got some really good news in the fact that uh, their most productive guys on offense and defense are coming back for their senior years, that being Jake Ferguson at tight end and Jack Sanborn at linebacker, also getting Fayon Hicks back for, for his senior year. And then another big one, obviously Kendrick Pryor decided that he's going to take advantage of that sixth year. I guess that's not an over overly uh, surprising Moved by him because he only got to play essentially two games. Uh, I mean, he got knocked out of he played the the opener, then got knocked out of the Michigan game, and then got knocked out of the Indiana game. So he played essentially two games. We're still waiting on Danny Davis, but of those four that have already said that they're coming back, you know, obviously in Colin Wilder and Mike Mascalunas, and we'll see what Jack Dunn does as well. But of those guys that have come back, who's the most important one that decided to to return? Oh, I I think it's Jake Ferguson. Just look at what the rest of the tight end group has done since he's been uh, doing what he has the last three seasons. So he's going to go down as, what, maybe the second most productive tight end in school history. Yeah. He's already got 99 career catches, 1,168 yards, 10 touchdowns. 
And last season, he led the team in catches, receiving yards, and touchdown catches. So to me, that was the the biggest one because honestly, of of all the guys that have decided to come back, I feel like that was the one where you wondered, is he going to take a shot at the NFL? I thought he was gone. Yeah, does does he feel like this is the time to go? And I mean, I feel like these guys have really nothing to lose by coming back other than you're risking injury, but you do that anytime you play football um, because you've got this extra year. And if you're not going to be a first or second round pick, sometimes you want to make sure that you can give yourself the best opportunity. And it's different for everyone, right? Like Quintus Cephas left. He wasn't a an early round pick, but he found a good spot and, and he's doing good things in the NFL. But with Ferguson, he's been the offense at the tight end position. There's really been no one else. Just look at the the snap counts from all these years. I mean, he, he played 444 snaps last year. Hayden Rucci was the only guy who played more than 50 snaps at tight end outside of Ferguson. And he's been mostly a blocking guy. Like yeah. He hasn't been involved in the offense. So that is the absolute biggest one. But I don't want to take away from how big of a deal it is to have Sanborn back and Pryor because we just saw what happened with the passing offense when they didn't have their top guys. Pryor had over 100 yards receiving and did did that in two games, right? Essentially two games. He had eight catches for over 100 yards. It's it's huge to get him back. And now you just yes. have to and now if you're Wisconsin, you have to cross fingers and hope that Danny Davis decides to come back as well because with those two along with Jake Ferguson, Jalen Berger, an offensive line that could feature you know, Logan Brown and Kayden Lyles and Logan Bruss and Tyler Beach, and we'll see what happens at left guard. I know you're a Seltzner guy, but we'll see uh, in terms of, you know, potentially somebody challenging him there. They have a really good-looking offense. And then even just behind Davis and Pryor, you know, Jim Ray DK, Devin Chandler. There are some weapons here that I think the off that I want to that I, I I could I'll be honest I wanted to see it in the bowl game I wanted to see Davis and Pryor in the bowl game and see what it looked like but we didn't get a chance to see that now put that group together I think that can be a, a pretty good offense it's not an offense that's going to struggle to score ten points a game yeah I agree one hundred percent it it might look more like it did in the season opener which is the only time they had the full complement of players and that that is the Danny Davis is the one that we're waiting on and all we can do right now is base it on that one conversation we had with Joe Rudolph when he said that he expected both. Pryor and Davis to come back in part because injuries wrecked their seasons, but we haven't heard an official word from Davis. If he does come back, yeah, you've got Davis and Pryor who have combined in their careers to have 166 catches for 2013 yards and 16 touchdowns. You know, there's a lot of young talent there, but you can't replace that, that type of experience. And I, I think that would be a heck of a two deep if you've got those two. And as you said, Chimray DK, and I think Devin Chandler is poised to, to have a, a really good year. And even if Jack Dunn comes back, we saw that he could contribute in some meaningful ways. I think a guy like Marcus Allen, who's coming in, has a chance to play right away. I know there's a ton of wide receivers, but if you just look at what he did in high school, yeah, just a huge, big play guy who had committed to Michigan, who could have gone to a number of different places, just you get the sense he can be one of those difference makers coming in early at wide receiver. But yeah, there, there's a lot of pieces. They're going to have a, four offensive linemen that are multi-year starters. And as you said, like with Seltzer, there's no guarantee that all of them are going to start because there are a lot of young guys pushing for playing time. So I think the offense has a chance to be really good. And all of us really want to see what can Graham do with an offense that has everybody available. Right. And a year of experience, right? And, and, and yes. going through the adversity that you talked about earlier. So, you know, if, if Danny Davis comes back, look, very, very quietly, very, very quietly, he's going to be end up top 10 catches. Uh, be up there close in yards. It's, uh, I mean, 
he's been around for a long time. He hasn't been perhaps the impact player that everybody thought he would be, but I think that had a lot to do with Quintez, especially last year. But he's going to end up, career-wise, very high up there if he decides to come back. And Jake Ferguson will be the second most productive tight end ever. And, you know, let's be fair about it, the only true tight I mean, the number one most productive true tight end because Travis Beckham, not a, not a, not a ton of uh, inline blocking for Travis Beckham during his time <laughs> in Wisconsin, um, I think is, is being fair about it. So that is uh, guys who are coming back. We'll see. News will come. Obviously, the Wisconsin also has a position to fill on their coaching staff, right? Inoki Rechterfield reportedly has taken the same job at Vanderbilt. Any surprise there? I mean, I, I this is my take on it. I think that – I don't know if he has career ambitions higher than being the defense line coach. I think he probably does. And the path to perhaps a defensive coordinator spot was not realistic here at Wisconsin. Because that's Jim Leonard's until he doesn't want it anymore, and I don't. And I don't know if Paul Christ viewed Inoki Brechtfield as defense coordinator potential after that, but it wasn't going to happen at Wisconsin. And, and going somewhere else, even if it is a lower SEC school, giving him a chance to to perhaps spread his wings a little bit. But I, I don't know. Otherwise, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. Perhaps finan- yeah, I, and and I also say financially, we don't know what he's going to be making. He was making four hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year at Wisconsin, which is not too bad for a defensive line coach perhaps could make more in the SEC, even at a school like Vanderbilt, though Vanderbilt is private, so we don't know the money there. He did have a previous relationship with Vanderbilt's uh, head coach, new head coach, Clark Lee. They worked together at UCLA back in 2011, so I'm sure that factored into it. But you're right. I've said this before, but like position coaches, they don't stay position coaches forever, If generally speaking, if they have aspirations for something greater. And if that is something that he, in fact, wants, then you're right. It's it's not going to happen at Wisconsin as long as Jim Leonard is there. And we don't know how long that'll be because he continues to have suitors. And Leonard's name popped up in the discussion for the Illinois head coaching job. Um, so it's, yeah, he's one of the staffers that's been there since Paul got there. But I think Wisconsin's going to be fine. There's going to be a lot of options. They've obviously posted the job. And I, I will be intrigued to see whatever who whoever the new defensive line coach is, what he can do with this defensive line unit. Because it might look a lot different. You already mentioned that Isaiah Loudermilk is gone. Garrett Rand is another guy that we're waiting to hear specifically what he's going to yeah. decide. He, he said gone. before Maybe. that he was still thinking about it. Yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Um, I think so, too. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> But, it, but you know, those are your top two defensive ends from the last handful of years. So now you're going to have Matt Henningsen stepping into a bigger role, which he was basically like a third starter. Yep. He was hurt this year. Isaiah Mullins, I think, becomes a, a, the other guy who starts. And then you've got a lot of uh, a lot of youth there. So whoever takes this job is going to have uh, a lot of pieces to figure out. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting. I was actually – I was talking to um, – Mike Jarvis is a defensive end who's coming in in the 2021 class. And I, I was talking to him this week because he's one of the six early enrollees who's going to be coming here. They're moving like next weekend, so that's coming up quick. And he said he was on vacation in Florida out to dinner, and his mom sent him a text message with a link that Anoka Brechterfield was leaving. He had no idea. Uh, he never talked to Brechterfield, still hadn't talked to him. Um, that's the thing about the college football coaching carousel is these guys have to realize that it's a business and and that's really hard because Jarvis actually never visited campus he committed on a virtual visit and the only coach he really talked to was Brechterfield so I just think that's kind of interesting and um, you know these guys are going to have to uh, figure it out with a new guy 
Yeah, no, it, it definitely is is tough, but that's, again, that's college football. But, yeah, I'm sure they'll find somebody that uh, will fill in there. And, you know, I think Wisconsin's defense line pretty underrated for much of uh, Brechter Field's career because, uh, you know, the numbers weren't huge, but the job that they did allowed the numbers for, at least in my opinion, and I, I think that's just kind of how the defense worked, allowed the big numbers for the out, for the linebackers, the outside linebackers, and the inside linebackers. It all started with the defensive line and the ability to stop the run, and they did that. Uh, as they've done that almost as well as anybody in the six seasons that that Brechterfield was there, so uh, I think I think I don't know about big shoes to fill, but certainly shoes to fill there at uh, defensive line. So let's get into uh, kind of what twenty twenty one will look at, look like. We've talked about positions a little bit already, but uh, I want to go position by position. We'll start at quarterback. Obviously, Graham Mertz is is QB one. Chase Wolf is QB two, right? What uh, yeah. right? So I mean, there's not a whole lot of unknown there. But Deacon Hill, he will come in and uh, be added to that group. What is he bringing? Yeah, I just wrote a story about him in the, the week of signing day last month, and the, the comparisons that are often made are to Ben Roethlisberger, just because he is a big, big boy. He's six five, um, like two twenty, two twenty five. Lost it's a bunch a big of weight, arm. Right? What's that? Lost a bunch of weight, right? Yeah, he his dad told me he went to an Elite 11 camp in Los Angeles like last year and weighed 250. And his dad joked, you know, you're you're eating like you're a Samoan quarterback and you can't do that if you're going <laughs> to play at the college level. So he's dropped 30 pounds. So he's definitely put in the work, but it's a big arm. It's a guy who stands in the pocket, who's willing to take a hit. And it's somebody that John Budmeyer identified very early. It was the first offer that he received, which ultimately is why he wound up committing to Wisconsin because he wanted a school to take a chance on him. UCLA is his hometown uh, school. He's got three older sisters that play there and uh, they offered him late and he still stuck with Wisconsin. So I don't necessarily think he's going to come in and play right away, but um, he's got a lot of talent and he's got a huge arm and he's kind of got a little bit of that Graham Mertz mold in that. He wants to be the lead recruiter in his class. Like he wants to be somebody who can rally the guys. You don't always get that. And I think when you have players like that at quarterback, it makes a big difference because you can see it with Graham. He wants to be that leader and he wants to be the guy. And I see a lot of that in Deacon. Yeah, definitely. All right. So that's quarterback running back. We think Jalen Berger's one. What's going on behind him? And I guess it depends what happens with Garrett Groshek. Let's just say Garrett Groshek does not come back. What's going on behind Jalen Berger? Right. So, so I, I have a, my projected 2D for offense, defense, special teams that uh, ran this week at The Athletic. And I've got Garendo, Isaac Garendo as a backup as of right now. It's, that is assuming that Garrett Groshek does not come back. But the other uh, thing we're waiting on is, is Marquis Stepp, this uh, transfer from USC who's reportedly strongly considering Wisconsin as his next school. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with that. But right now, I'm going with Garendo. He's really a mystery, I think, because he played one game this year and then we we didn't see him again. We know he's got speed. We know going into the year, the coaching staff had him in the top three of the rotation along with Nikia Watson and Garrett Groshek. But I just look at the rest of the candidates. Who else would step into a backup role? Julius Davis has a long way to go. I think you, you and I can agree based on uh, <laughs> the number of snaps he got, which was one. And you've got three true freshmen coming in. Yeah. And it's it's a possibility, certainly. I think any one of those guys particularly Antoine Roberts or Loyal Crawford could come in and, and earn some reps, but we just don't know. We don't know. And the thing about Julius Davis is I, I feel like his biggest hurdle is John Settle right now. I asked Joe Rudolph, like who's, 
who makes the decision on reps wise? Like, is it a team thing or is it a st- t- staff wide thing or is it the position coach? And he said he relies on the position coach. So right now, I, Julius Davis, if he's going to play, he is going to have to convince John Settle to get on the field. It's not going to be a Paul Christ or a Joe Rudolph thing. It's going to be uh, a John Settle thing. And right now, it's clear. I mean, he didn't even suit up for the bowl game. So right now, it's it's clear that he's got to get that hurdle crossed. And, and I don't know if that will happen. I don't know when that'll happen, if it does. So I think he's a talented kid. I do. I still think it is. We saw it, we saw it in high school. We haven't seen it in, in college, certainly. But he has a chance to be a really, really good running back if he can just convince John Settle that he needs to be that. And I'm not blaming John Settle for him not playing. I think this is all on Julius Davis for not playing, but he's got the ability to do it. We'll see if, if uh, it happens at Wisconsin or if, it needs, if he needs to go somewhere else to make it happen. So that's running back fullback. It is uh, the John Chanel Show along with Quan Easterling, correct? Yeah, that, that's how I see it. You know, they've carried three scholarship fullbacks for the last two years, but Mason Stock is going to pursue the NFL draft, and John Chanel's been the number two. East, Easterling, we didn't see anything of this past season, and in 2019, he just played in one game. He played four snaps in a two-fullback set with Chanel, so and those are a, the two guys. And led the way to a Jonathan Taylor touchdown. Yeah, so those are, those are the two guys that, uh, that I envision, unless they move somebody else to the position, which they have had a lot of success doing uh, in recent years. Yeah, so that's there. Wide receiver, I think it's still very much up in the air in in terms of Danny Davis. Let's say Danny Davis is back. Kendrick Pryor, Danny Davis, Kenzel, I actually speak almost Kenzel, though. Jack Dunn, that was some... As a short guy myself, that was kind of... (laughs) That was was, uh, kind of what? Unfortunate on my part. Um... Com, com, that was yeah. a good callback. That was a good throwback. Yeah. Uh, short wide receiver, number three. And then, uh, yeah, no. So Jack Dunn, Jim Ray DK, those, that's, your, that's your two deep. And then Devin Chandler. And then who else? Well, I think there's a couple guys that emerged at least a little bit late. Um, Chandler is one of them. Uh, he's got to get more opportunities because he's an explosive playmaker. You saw what he did as a kick returner. A.J. Abbott got a, a fair amount of snaps later in the season. He wound up with the the fourth most snaps among wide receivers. And I realize that's because Davis and Pryor, you know, didn't have a lot of, of action, but he's somebody. And then I mentioned Marcus Allen before. I, I just feel like you need a, a playmaker that is a difference maker. That's dynamic. And the other guy I'll mention is Stefan Bracey because he was really in the top six of the rotation. I mean, before he wasn't playing yeah. like they had the, the top five going into the season, but I, I think there's a lot of talent there, but, if you've got some top line receivers like Davis and Pryor to start with, then you don't have to ask these other guys to be the number one. And I, I, st- I mean, DK can be the number one certainly, but um, there's a lot of there's a lot to work with there. So those are the guys that that I think are going to have an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. At tight end, we've talked about Jake Ferguson. He's got one year left, right? Who's the next receiving tight end? Because I I, I don't. Jack Essenbach seems like a great guy feels like that but I, I don't and, and he got some reps in the in the mayo bowl as well i'm not sure he's the next guy there at that position is do they have yeah. do they have a guy on this roster who's next at that position because i i thought jalen franklin might be that guy and then he started warming up with the wide receivers before games so i don't know exactly what his future is whether it's at tight end or whether it's at wide receiver so what is there a guy there yeah, there is, but not now. <laughs> and I don't know how advanced they'll be after Jake Lee next season. But if I if I had to pick from that group, I mean, 
Jack Pugh is a true freshman who's coming in in this 2021 class. He's going to be one of those six early enrollees. He's got the pass catching ability. He's a basketball player. He thought he was going to go to college for that sport. He didn't play football until his junior year. His junior year, they basically lined him up at wideout and they just said, here's a mismatch. You're 6'5, 235, go catch the ball. I think he can be that guy, but to ask him to do it now or even next season might be a little early. Cam Large is large. Is, is somebody that, yeah, I think could be, mm. but. It's pure speculation yeah. because you and I and, and the rest of the reporters never had an opportunity to watch any practices this past season. So I can't speak to his development. Clay Cundiff could be, too. I mean, he's a big dude. He and Hayden Rucci uh, have a carry a lot of weight for for some young guys, but he, he could catch a lot of passes in high school. So, I mean, those are some of the guys. I mean, Jalen Franklin is someone that Paul Chris said before the season would bring a different dynamic in terms of athleticism and things like that, but would be very raw. Uh, to that position. So I, I'm inclined to pick some of those other guys. Yeah. Uh, offensive line. Now, I think the the starting five is, seems like seems easy. I think me and you may disagree about the left guard, whether yeah. that's actually going to end up being Josh Seltzer or not, but we already mentioned it. Logan Brown's your left tackle. We'll see what happens to left guard, but right now Josh Seltzer is your left guard. Caden Lyles, you know, likely going to be your center. Logan Bruss, your right guard, and Tyler Beach, your right tackle. That's your that's your five. Behind them is a little bit the is the uncertainty. I, I would think we'll start on the right side because we saw a little bit this year. Jack Nelson probably be your backup right tackle, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm with that for okay. sure. I right. do wonder, and and I know you mentioned it when we've t- talked about it. Like, could he be the starting left tackle, or could he be the backup left tackle? Like, he is too good to not not get reps next season. But if Tyler Beach is going to be your starter and get almost all the snaps at right tackle, that doesn't leave much for Nelson. I, I think he's he can play in a lot of different places. He was a dominant left tackle in high school like a lot of players. Um, so I, I, I have him as my backup right tackle, but wouldn't be surprised if he found a way to play somewhere. Well, here's the thing. Tyler Beach played some left tackle prior to taking over as the right tackle this year. He has some left tackle experience. So if Joe Rudolph believes he's better than Logan Brown, which I yeah. I. You know, we don't know what is in Joe's mind. He wants to get his best five in the, on the field. It's possible you could see that. I don't envision that happening, but it's possible that you can move him back over to, to, to left tackle and have him be your starting right tackle or your left tackle if you liked Jack Nelson that much to play him at right right tackle. Behind the right guard, we saw Michael Fertney start in the bowl game for Logan Bruss. I would assume he would be your backup there as well. Yeah, that's who I have. I think the fact that he started that game said a lot. Um, so... That's who I have. Is Cormac Sampson your backup center? He's my backup center because that's what he was this season. And when <laughs> Lyles couldn't play, he stepped in. And, and and I do think it's worth monitoring. We we don't know exactly how severe Lyles' injury is. And, you know, it's a long way until the season starts. But yeah. he's had injury problems before. So it's a good thing they've got three centers with starting experience now because Tanner Bordellini got starts that we never would have envisioned. I think Samson's the backup center, unless you think he's going to be a guard or something like that. Well, he's played every position. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they've had him at tackle, they've had him at guard, they've had him at center. Like He's been all over the place, so it's possible you could see him move during this offseason if they like somebody else uh, or if they like him at another position, potentially you know at guard or something of the sort. But I'm, I, I, I think what we've seen which is very little, obviously, would would have him be your backup center. The left guard spot, I think, is interesting. I, I think they Joe Tipman is certainly a guy that they wanted to see a bunch of this year. He had the injury that shut him down for the rest of the year, so we didn't get to see that. Um, 
but I, I think he can compete with Josh Seltzner for guard. And I know there are some people that are not huge, you know, Josh Seltzner guys, but I, I think Joe Tipman could compete for that spot. Yeah, I'm with you. I have Tipman as my backup left guard. I know there was times in the season where he was listed as the backup right guard and Rudolph said before the season that he envisioned Tipman competing for center, but it became clear at a certain point that that was not in the card, so he moved him around. I think he's got a lot of versatility, and we just haven't had an opportunity to see him. He missed the rest of the season with a right arm injury, but I, I do think he could challenge for a starting role because it's not exactly like Seltzner. Is, he's played in 32 games, but it's not like he's got 32 starts. He has seven starts. He started the last two games against Minnesota and Wake Forest, but I, I wouldn't say that that one's locked de- de- locked down like it is on the right side. Yeah, and then at left tackle, we got our first extended look at Logan Brown against Wake Forest. He played pretty much the entire, I want to say, I think uh, John Deetson left in the second quarter, and Logan Brown went the rest of the way. Still raw a little bit, I would say, but I, I think he's probably got to be your, your favorite at left tackle. The backup left tackle, though, is, is kind of throw your hands up in the air, don't really know. I know you're a. I know you went with Nolan Rucci at left tackle, and you're too deep. Why? I mean, I'm basing it on the fact that he's just a ridiculous talent and a five star player, and that doesn't come along very often. Logan being the last five star player, but I think there's a caveat there because Trey Weddig shouldn't be forgotten. He was a four star prospect from inside the state, and like I said, with basically every other position, we never had an opportunity to watch Weddig in practice. So I, I don't know how close he is to potentially playing. Or but certainly he's got a, a year in the program already. But I I do envision Logan Brown entering the season as the starter. He played 58 snaps this season, according to Pro Football Focus, and 38 of those snaps came in the game against Wake Forest. And based on the, the pass blocking grade, he had the second highest pass blocking grade on the team in that game. Now his run blocking grade for the season was the lowest on the team. So something he needs to get better at. But these are his first college snaps. So I think it's Brown. And then the backup to me is the most up in the air of all the backup spots on the offensive line because they've got a number of guys. But, but Rucci eventually is going to work his way in there. I don't know if it's going to be the first year. I think Rucci and Wettig are the two options that stick out to me. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, heading over to the other side of the ball, we kind of already talked about the defensive line spot. I think mm-hmm. your I think your starters at defensive end, Matt Henningsen and Isaiah Mullins, and then you've got uh, Keanu Benton at, at the nose tackle spot, and Bryce Williams is your backup at nose tackle, but you're looking for backups at – at defensive end, could a Rodas Johnson step in? Could a Cade McDonald? What what you know? Obviously, James Thompson's injury. He got early playing time against Michigan, but we don't know how. Obviously, the injury was serious and knocked him out for the rest of the year. We don't know how long it's going to keep him out moving forward this, into this fall. So, what uh, what is your two deep look like there? After the starters, it's a complete toss up in my opinion. I have James Thompson Jr. and Cade McDonald as the backups, but I mean that's certainly not set in stone. I'm basing it off the fact that. We saw Thompson's junior make an appearance. Uh, it was against Michigan because Garrett Rand didn't play, and then Matt Henningsen suffered his injury. And Thompson junior was the next man up. He only played one snap before he suffered a season-ending right leg injury, but that's kind of why I slid him there. And Cade McDonald was listed as Rand's backup in the bowl game. To me, the the name that I'm waiting on sort of is Boyd Dietzen because yeah. this will be his fourth year in the program. And he was a fantastic player in high school at Kimberly. And it, it I don't know. He didn't play last year. And we don't, obviously don't know – don't know why, but played a few snaps in 2019. And see, he's one guy who's a, a veteran now you think could take the next step. But I'm just basing it on who did we see on the field last year? Where were they positioned? And and um, But there's a lot to figure out at defensive end, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. Any of the incoming guys you think could push there? I mean, obviously you mentioned Jarvis going to be one of the early enrollees. I 
I mean, that's why he's enrolling early. Like he's coming in to start, but that's what every freshman says. <laughs> I, I think it's probably a little early for him. Um, now we'll see what, what if you get the 15 practices in spring. But that's the only defensive lineman that they have coming in. I mean, if there was one position group that I think maybe you could have gotten a little more out of in recruiting, which with this highest rated class, it'd be the defensive line. Because you've got a couple guys who played defensive end in high school, three really, and they're all going to be outside linebackers. Um, the one name that I'll throw out there, just I think it's interesting. I, I just talked to um, TJ Bowlers this week, and you may remember on, on signing day when Jim Leonard was discussing the players and what they could do he described bowlers as an outside linebacker plus which i never really heard that description before but the idea is that he could potentially um line up on the defensive line if they have a a, a four man front and i'm not saying he's going to play much of it or if he'll play at all as a true freshman but just one name to watch because i think he's going to be able to do a lot of different things and it's it's intriguing they're bringing in defensive players that can play some hybrid roles yeah no doubt Looking at at linebacker, well, you know, you mentioned outside linebacker with 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 bowlers. Noah Burks, we don't have officially one way or the other, right? You know, whether he wants to return or not. If he doesn't, what does that group look like? Well, Nick Herbig is is clearly one of the starters. He played all seven games. He started all seven games as a true freshman this past season. I think CJ Getz slides into the other starting role. He wound up playing the third most snaps among the outside linebackers. He's got a lot of talent. Jim Leonard talked about him during the season that he's finally found a home, but Again, nothing set in stone because my two backups, I've got Isaiah Green May and Spencer Lytle. We didn't see a ton of Lytle, but he recovered a fumble against Northwestern. And Green May hasn't been able to be healthy. But when he was, he opened the 2019 season as a starter. And then he broke his thumb. Then he got hurt this year, but he got passed by Herbig. So those are the the top four in my mind. The other guy would be Aaron Witt. Yes. I thought he did some really, really good things against Wake Forest. Came in at a couple tackles for loss. He had a sack. So he certainly can make the two deep. And the rest, Caden Johnson, we haven't seen a ton of, played six snaps this year. And then the three freshmen coming in, Daryl Peterson, uh, A.O. Adebogan, and T.J. Bowlers. Peterson was a sack machine. He had 41 and a half sacks his last two seasons. I think that's very intriguing. Both he and Bowlers picked Wisconsin over Alabama, and I think that says a lot about the type of talent they're bringing in. Do the inside linebackers too deep stay exactly the same, or do they work finally works a fourth person in there? Because Jack Sanborn's obviously a starter. Leo Chanel had a great sophomore campaign. Mike Mascaluna says he is returning, so he is the the backup, one of the backups there. But he was listed as the backup to both spots. Here, I mean, I would honestly, I was surprised watching that Mayo Bowl late in that game, and the entire secondary was flipped out. The entire defensive line was flipped out. The outside linebackers was backups. And then there was Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel. And, uh, yeah. you know, like, how little confidence do you have in the backups? And then late in that drive, they went to Mascalunas and uh, the guy whose name I can't pronounce. So, Muma Jong Meta? Yeah. So that they, late in that drive, that's who they went to. Is that depth chart looking any different next fall? Honestly, Zach, I just don't know how many snaps are left after Sanborn and Chanel. Because those... Sanborn played 413 snaps this season. Chanel played 409. More snaps than anyone else on the defense. And it was because they're too good to take off the field. And Bob Bosted doesn't have a lot of faith in, in some of those young guys, at least at this point. I think that's going to be more of the same. Mascalunas gets some snaps. You got to have some development, though, right? right at yeah. some point. And Sanborn's gone. He's going to be a fourth-year junior next year. And you have a ton of young guys. You have six inside linebackers in the 2020 and 2021 recruiting classes. I don't know how ready any of those guys are going to be next season. And then John Meta is still there too. So 
I don't see a bunch of opportunity for those guys, but got to get them some reps, right? Got to get them something. You have to get them something. Uh, because when those two, when those other guys leave, and, and Leo could leave after next year, and Jack certainly could as well, we, we would expect him to do so, and, and Mascalunas would be gone as well. Can't just, I mean, behind them this year at least, it was, it was Tate Grass and then uh, a little Malik Reed, and even Preston Zachman got some time, but like very little time, right? Like just a couple of snaps here and there. Yeah, I think you got it, and and that's why spring ball is so important, right? You're not you're, the spring ball is not for Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel, it's, and it's not for Mike Mascalunas. It's for those younger guys, and that's why it desperately needs to happen this year. It's going to happen this year. I I, I think that's pretty clear. You don't play. I mean, I, it's going to happen either way. Uh, come, yeah, come March, and, you know what I mean. So that that is des- that desperately needs to happen for that inside linebacker group. Yeah, and so Jake Cheney, one of the true freshmen, he's going to be one of the six early enrollees. Um, so, you know, I think that's very important. Guys come in because they want to get a leg up and they want to have an opportunity to play. I think the 2021 class at inside linebacker is really good with Cheney, with Brian Sanborn, and then Jake Ratzlaff, who just, I think the sky's the limit for him is once he just plays one sport. It doesn't mean they're going to come in right away and play, but I think there's a lot of good talent in the pipeline. Moving to the secondary, and we'll start a corner. Fayon Hicks is back. We'll see what happens with, with Caesar Williams. He hasn't made a decision one way or the other. They obviously lost Rashad Wild Goose. Everyone else is back. I mean, who is, uh, what is your, what does your two deep look like there? Well, I've got Hicks and Dante Burton as my starters. Burton started in the bowl game when they, they opened in a nickel, and uh, he's got starting experience before. And I think Deron Harrell and uh, Samar Melvin are the, are Jesse, the guys. Everybody yeah. at secondary has starting experience. Well, literally, uh, literally everybody at corner has started a game. Did Dean Ingram start a game? Literally everybody that has played meaningful snaps and when the game is still in doubt has started a game. Dante well, Burton. There's only Samar, five guys. Dante well, Burton, Samar Melvin, Caesar Williams, uh, Fayon well, Hicks, think Deron Harrell. Who is? There's uh, five guys. You think Williams is gone? I think he is. Okay. I mean, well, either way, maybe either way, they still have an abundance of guys that have starting experience. At that spot, right? Did Alex Smith start? He may have at some point. I feel like I want to look it up. Because if he didn't, they have four guys with starting experience if Caesar's gone. How many corners do you get to play at a time? Well, geez, uh, three, but okay, Jesse. So then play six. So overwhelmingly, a number of overwhelming number of guys have starting experience in the secondary. I apologize if I said everyone. Well, you're wrong, my friend. There's nine scholarship corners and four have starting experience. Overwhelming amount of the secondary. Not the corners, secondary. Well, I wasn't talking about the safeties. Well, I said secondary, sir. Either way, All right. moving on. I digress. What does I've got, <laughs> what, what I've got does your 2D look Melvin like? As my backups at corner. And, I mean, I thought Harold, I thought his career was dead in the water here. It was so bizarre. He couldn't even get on the field early in the season. And then he played 35 snaps in the bowl game. And obviously, you know, there's some opportunities that opened up. But it's a really interesting ride that he's been on. I asked, and Jim Leonard talked about that ride a little bit. Because I, I was like, he he started like a for the first four or five games of last year. Then barely saw the field. Was not, didn't even suit up for the Rose Bowl. Didn't suit up for the first game this year. Didn't obviously suit up for the second game this year. And by the end of the year, he's playing that all those minutes. And... Jim Leonard talked about how he had some of the other younger guys had passed him, but he thought that he had grown a ton. And you know, in the past year, I, I guess that's that's the case. We sat here last year, and I said of the people that I thought potentially would transfer, 
he would be the number one guy. And now he has come back and, and potentially jumped right back into the mix this year. Yeah, it's been uh... – <laughs> It, it's I guess the the value of perseverance, right? I mean, yeah. he, I think he's got a I think he's got a very important role next season, especially if Caesar doesn't come back. And again, speculating right now. And I asked Caesar, I, I thought this was interesting too. Like these guys, they, the Wisconsin Sports Information Department, they've been putting these notes on Twitter about what people are going to do, and they're still very vague. It's like I want to pursue a professional football career, but it doesn't say I'm gone. And I said, well, what would it take for you to come back? And Caesar said that. With COVID-19, there's so much uncertainty. Like the, the, You can't play in the senior bowl. He doesn't know what uh, a combine situation is going to look like. And he said, if I can't do those things, then he would be hesitant to leave. Um, having said that, I know he wants to take his shot. So that's kind of why I'm thinking he's going to go. Do you think those things are going to happen? I mean... <sighs> like I, 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 I don't think they're going to have the normal kind of scouting combine that we've come to know. I think there's going to be something because you've got testing available. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I think there's going to be something. <laughs> I just don't know what it looks like. That's actually, but it's a, it's a tough spot. Yeah, I can't imagine doing it socially distanced. Like, they, they they pack you in there. It's it's just insane. But they have figured out a lot in the last year, and I'm sure they'll, they'll figure out something. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. If he comes back, he's probably – is he your starter if he comes back? Caesar? Oh, yeah. for sure. I okay. think so. All right. At safety – you lose Eric Burrell, you get Colin Wilder back, you get Scott Nelson back. We'll see what happens with Reggie Pearson, but what's your two deep look like? Well, I've got Nelson, and if Reggie Pearson is healthy and available, I've got him as a starter, and I'm I'm basing it off. I asked his dad, because um, we just don't know what's going on. You, you know, he's he wasn't medically cleared last season, but what exactly does that mean, and what does that mean for his future? And I just said, I... <laughs> do you expect him to to be back with the team? And he said that he he anticipates his return, and he said he'll be bigger, faster, and stronger. And I know his dad's been posting some things about Reggie um, on the the comeback trail or return tour or whatever. So if he's healthy and, and medically cleared, he started 13 games the year before as a redshirt freshman. So that's why I have him there. Colin Wilder, with him coming back, I have him as a backup, but certainly he's capable of starting. He has started. And then Titus Toller's the other guy. We saw him pick off a pass early in the year. Um, I know he hurt his back. He only played in two games. But those are my those are my two deep. And, of course, everyone wants to see Hunter Wohler and Braylon Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Can those guys make inroads? I think Wohler is better positioned to do that because Allen reclassified from the 2022 recruiting class. He's going to come here. He's going to be 17 years old. I mean, physically, he thinks he's ready, but still, dude, 18 look, to 23 year old men on the field. Dude, look at him. He's physically ready. Have you seen? If he can play as a 17 year old, have you seen the videos? Uh, have you seen? Yes, okay. I have. I have seen right. the uh, the weightlifting reps. Okay. I just, I mean, Waller's a two time state player of the year. I think he could challenge for time right away. And I mean, if Allen does, my God, what a what a tandem that group's going to be in the future. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, specialists. It's what everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> Is Colin Lars still your kicker next year? Yeah, I think so. He needs to inside, make something Inside 35 yards? yards. <laughs> I was going to say inside 35 yards, he's your guy? I mean, they tried a Jack Van Dyke out there for that 40-yarder. That, that was not pretty. No. no. It doesn't instill a lot of confidence, right? If you get to the 25-yard line and it's fourth down, what are you going to do? Well, if it's uh, fourth and one or fourth and two, yeah, you're going for it. Yeah, if it's fourth and six. Yeah, if, you're, if it's fourth and six, especially considering the the struggles Hunt. of that offense. Well, Paul Chris, if it's inside the <laughs> if it's inside the thirty five, or if it's outside yeah. the thirty, yeah, for sure. Punt that, 
punt that piece because <laughs> Jack Jack uh, that did not look good. Uh, his his long field goal, Jack Van Dyke did not that uh, good kickoff guy. But that field goal did yeah. was not pretty. Uh, yeah. So that that's I think still a concern. But within thirty five yards, Kyle Larsh, yep, the, the man, uh, punter Vunovic, still your guy. Still the guy. I thought he was really solid this year. Inconsistent at times. Yeah, but I mean, that's a punter, right? It's a college punter. He still averaged forty-one point seven yards, and he he had he pinned opponents inside the twenty fourteen times. I I mean, he's got the leg. He had a sixty yarder against Illinois, so yeah, he's the guy. Who's your long snapper? Oof, because Adam Bay's gone. I got Peter Bowden because he was listed as the backup, <laughs> and he was. Yeah, I never understand the Coles and the Rubio long snapping ratings because I can't say I monitor the uh, specialists there particularly closely. But he was a five-star long snapper, and according to UW's bio on him, he delivered all 227 snaps during his four-year high school varsity career successfully. So there you have it, Peter right. Bowden. Good call. All right, kick returner, is it still – I mean, Devin Chandler kind of showed out, but I thought Steve, Stephen Bracey, you know, certainly had his moments early in the season. Yeah, I've got Chandler as my starter and Bracey as the backup, but either guy could do it. I just Chandler broke a big one against Wake Forest, and I, there's a 59 yarder that helps set up the the tying score there. So I don't know what his role is going to be offensively, but if he's not in the two deep, then I think that lends itself much more to, to him being the kick returner. And punt returner is it Dean Ingram? I don't think anything's locked down there. He he averaged 1.6 yards per punt return. That is a uh, less than ideal. And just as a team, they were 116th in the FBS. Like I will say I this though, he didn't also uh, except for one, he dropped one, right? I think he fumbled one. Mm-hmm. He caught the ball. He went up and caught the ball. He didn't let it drop too often. And I think yeah. he saved them field position. And I think that has become based on the guy who was previously doing the job. I think significant to them as a special teams unit. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's interesting because obviously people have their issues with Jack Dunn. He let, but he but was he, he was good. He led the Big Ten in 2019 and. In punt returns, like yards per punt return, 8.3, which was a big step up from the year before. I think it was five and a half. But he had such a big role offensively that obviously, you know, they they generally put some young guys in there if they trust him to catch the ball. So I think the punt return job is up in the air. They've got a number of guys who could do it. The thing about uh, you're right about Jack Dunn as, as a punt return in 2019 was 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 very solid and, and, and good in the Big Ten. But I wonder how many yards lost by not going up and catching the ball. Because I yeah. feel like that was a, that was a problem, and it happened earlier this year too. And that has to also be factored in, not just how many yards are returning it, but how many yards are For saving sure. by catching it. Yeah. Um, so I think there's some work to do at punt returner and and kicker, but I don't know what you do with kicker. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, that is a run through the the two deep. I guess you know what we've we've gone for over an hour, but I've. I've Probably should try and get the Twitter questions in if I if I can here, right? It's uh, our season-ending episode. It's our it's our finale, yeah. so we're going out with a bang. I mean, you're not going to hear us for a while. Well, yes, true. Uh, where are we at here? Dick asks, and we, we've already talked about this, obviously, but with players not losing the year of eligibility this year, how many seniors do you re- expect to return? We've already kind of talked about that. Is there a chance that some are turned away to make room for the incoming class? Do we know about the the scholarship limit that the NCAA is going to set, or is it is going to be – it's already been waived, though, right, for 2021? Or that is the for hope. Tw- well, yeah, for 2021, it's the seniors are exempt. So uh, it's it would be up to the school and whether the school is willing to pay for that that scholarship. But that doesn't count against the 85 man scholarship limit in terms of guys being turned away. I don't know. I mean, maybe if you're a fringe player or something like that. But I, I mean, even I don't know. I mean, Mascalunas is coming back. It's not like he played a 
a ton of snaps at linebacker, but he's been around for a while. I don't think it's going to be a, a significant number. But to me, the bigger question is what happens in 2022 and beyond? Because as far as I know, to this point, we don't have an answer on what the scholarship numbers look like. Because if everybody can come back and they haven't lost a year of eligibility this year, um, you're going to have a much smaller recruiting class in 2022. So for 2021, we at least know. Like, seniors don't count against the 85-man limit. But after that, I don't know. And really what I wonder is, is this going to lead to more transfers? Because you are going to have an absolute logjam at these positions with three classes of freshmen. Yeah, I mean, going through this too deep as we did, like the inside linebacker and outside linebacker groups, it's just like, yeah, it's overwhelming, I think you would say. Cole asks, so they said on the broadcast that the Big Ten West will be better, a a better division next year than the Big Ten East. Do you buy that? Is the Big Ten West really trending up that much? Now, I think I saw numbers uh, from your guy at the I, Scott Docterman. Mm-hmm. I think he broke that down, and and uh, the the I think it's over the last I don't know the exact years, but I think it was uh, the Big Ten West versus East. The East led sixty six to sixty in whatever that that time frame was. But if you take Ohio State out of it, Ohio State was fifty and two. You take that out of it, the Big Ten West was better than the uh, than the Big Ten East. But do you buy that they would be a, a better division next year than than the East? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean. The East has the best team, so it's. I feel like it's always going to be skewed. Yeah. But I mean, do we think Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State are going to have losing records again next year? Maybe I don't know, but I don't know. I mean, Illinois got Brett Bielema now, and that makes the West a whole hell of a lot more interesting. Uh, but they were also the worst team in the West this year, so I don't know if I buy it yet. Brett Bielema versus PJ Fleck. Oof, gotta love it. Ooh boy. Frank says, any word on lost games of directional Illinois, App State, and Notre Dame in the future? Any? I, I haven't heard anything new on whether they're going to reschedule Notre Dame, but I think that is certainly a possibility, and you would think it would happen. At Lambeau Field, I'm talking about, obviously they're going to play at Soldier Field this, this coming fall. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about that either, but I think for all of our sake, we hope that that Notre Dame game gets played again because a matchup like that doesn't come along very often, even though they were going to play this year. You know, it's supposed to be part of a two-game series. But beyond that, I mean, their non-conference schedule is pretty well set if you just look out. They've got three non-conference games scheduled for 2021 through 2025. So I think it it would be difficult to fill in those other ones, at least at this point. Yeah, well, we'll see. Do they stay with the nine-game conference schedule? I think they probably do. If they don't, then it probably opens up a little bit of a a thing. Yeah. But I I would envision them. I think the nine-game conference schedule is really good. Do you think they should stick with divisions, or do you think they should just throw everybody into a into one and and then have some protected rivalries and then rotate other games? Ah, I kind of like the divisions, but I I so, guess the other question is if you didn't have it, would Wisconsin be in the Big Ten championship as often? <laughs> probably not. Probably yeah, not. I mean, I, so, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I I don't have a problem if you went away from them. I kind of like them just because you have a guarantee. You guarantee opponents every single year and those rivalries right. can can build and, and i know you'd have protected rivalries but i don't know I, I guess i don't have a strong opinion one way or the other keith asks will joe rudolph be the play caller next season i believe so i mean that, that mm-hmm. beside the uh what's with the hands signal issue on the, <laughs> and the sideline well that this was been an even bigger question is about the play calling and, and rudolph but i i don't see a change coming i mean there were a lot of things that the offense was up against, and 
I, I just don't see a change. I don't think Paul does that after one season. But the reasoning for why he went to it, right? Wasn't it? I mean, there were part of the reason was he didn't have the time in the right. off season to get prepared for it, which still doesn't make any sense to me. But it was that was part of the that was part of the reason. You would think with a more normal off season, he would have time to prepare for that job. I guess I'd be surprised if he didn't take it back, if, or if he didn't have not take it back, but have a more involved role. And I, I think he had a more yeah. involved role down the stretch. But I, um, uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and, and, and because, that's a possibility too. I mean, that, that that he would have a greater role because before he had a much greater role. Obviously, I just I don't know how much we're going to know about the full inner workings of that. That's you know, this was really the first time where Paul sort of opened up about. <laughs> how things operate behind the scenes there. Right. And uh, I know this, uh, we don't talk politics here at all, but this is only related to college football. Did you ever play college football growing up? The, uh, the, end, the, the uh, EA game? Oh, of course. Yeah. So uh, NCAA football. And it's been gone, obviously, since 20, I think, 14 was the last one, or 2013, I guess it was 2013 year, 2014 game. Apparently, because of the Democrats taking over the Senate, they have their legislation. Both, both parties had their legislation, their name image, image likeness legislation. And the, the Democrats is a lot more favorable apparently to getting that game back. That according to Ross Dellinger from SI.com. I just wanted to mention that because uh, for all the horribleness that has gone on these last, these last couple of months, that is one positive. Take everything else out of it. That is one positive for college football fans that, no matter what party you're for, potentially, potentially, we're going to have NCAA football back sooner than later, which is big, big, big. Yeah, uh, I love that we, game. We, I, I lo- that's my favorite football game. It's not even close. All right, I should say, even oh, say my favorite football game. Sure. It's my favorite video game of all time. Oh yeah, uh, I, I played the hell out of that bad boy growing up. You know, you could recruit, you could make, build your dynasty, and I just loved running the option. <laughs> right, do that on that. I did, run running the option with uh, Mike Samuel and Ron Dane. I know that that probably wasn't you, but uh, running running the option with uh, yeah Mike Samuel and Ron Dane back in the day, or, or uh, excuse me, uh, Ann Brooks Bollinger. Oof, watch out! Couldn't stop it. People got so upset. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop the big guy in NCAA football. Uh, and hopefully it does come back. I'll I'll admit that I um I went out and like last year when I actually bought NCAA 14 for the PS3 and had to go set it up and everything and started playing it again. Um, Good for you, dude. I've just wanted to note that final uh, on our final show of the year, NCAA football could be coming back hopefully sooner rather than later. Jesse, thank you very much for this entire year. It's been great, and uh, I will be doing you know a few shows here, but uh, and then we'll get uh, once we get to spring ball, Jesse will be back and we'll get rolling, and hopefully we get to see some spring ball. I, I'm guessing we probably won't, but uh, hopefully we do, and, and when we do, we'll we'll come here and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I sure hope so. It's been fun this year, Zach. Thanks to everybody who's been listening. It's certainly been the most bizarre year from a coverage standpoint of my entire career, but uh, hopefully we kept you entertained this season, and I'm looking forward to doing it again next season. Yep, for sure. All right, until next time, you've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.